briefly. Let me see what time do we got. Okay. And if you remember when we left off, it's been a couple weeks now. Um, if you glance at the very end of Nehemiah chapter 1, right after the book of Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, the last, really not even the whole verse, but the last little clause of chapter 1, it's verse 11, says, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This was Nehemiah talking. And he is basically setting up everything else that's coming, what we're going to see tonight, and really for the next few weeks here. He is the cupbearer to the king. He's in this privileged position, standing next to the king, spending long hours next to the king. And we're going to see how God's providence has put all this together. Um, and so I'm going to begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1, and through verse 8. Chapter 1, or chapter 2, rather, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is, uh, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. This is the king speaking to Nehemiah. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, so he's explaining now, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. No time stated explicitly in the text. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keepers of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortresses of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So I'm not going to go through and, and do like a, a full exposition like I often would do and kind of teaching line by line, but just want to really put forward some key insights that on one hand I think are probably fairly apparent as we look at the text, but some good principles as we, as we keep moving forward here in Nehemiah and next week by God's grace we'll be able to dig into this a little bit more about a few key insights, basically three that I'll put before you tonight. And the first is this. The first thing that we see here that just leaps to us from the text, both last week and this week, is the mighty hand of God's providence. God's hand working in the world. In the first place we see that is God placing him as the cupbearer. Among all the people, among all the places that God could have coordinated this, he makes Nehemiah the cupbearer in this privilege, this really consequential, and I would even say providential position for him to be there. We see the way that God works so often, placing and putting people and things in certain situations all for his glory and all ultimately for something bigger that he was doing. That very often at the time, we're not fully aware. Nehemiah is not fully aware of all that's going to happen. He's just trying to do his best not to look sad in front of the king. There's a lot of cultural reasons why this would be. Um, Artaxerxes, this king here, was known for being brutal, just like most ancient kings were. And if you displeased him, he could easily take your head. Uh, I mean, he, the, the kings didn't think anything about killing their own family members. Um, anything that didn't suit them, uh, death could be the sentence, which is why he's trying to hide this so much. 
and yet we see God's mighty hand of providence here. We could talk about Nehemiah's bravery, bravery, and I'll mention that later, but certainly God's hand of providence. And then we see the fact that not only is he there with the king, but the great favor that he has. Artaxerxes pressures him. No, please tell me, what is it? What is it, Nehemiah? What's bothering you? What can I do for you? Is there something I can do for you? You know I'm the king, by the way. Is there something I can do for you, Nehemiah? And the text doesn't tell us this, but a little bit of background. Artaxerxes is the one who actually stopped the work that was being redone in Jerusalem in the book of Ezra. So this king knows about Jerusalem. He knows exactly about where Nehemiah is from, and he considered Jerusalem to be a seditious city. And so it was him that said to Nehemiah and the other, or to uh, Ezra and the others that are rebuilding to stop it. No more rebuilding. And so Nehemiah is not, I mean, there's, there's a quite a bit that he could get into trouble in saying this. But God gives him immense favor with Artaxerxes, with the king here. It's really phenomenal as we, as we see sort of the bigger picture historically here. So that's number one, the mighty hand of God's providence here. We see that in verse 8. We see, it, we see it in several places implicitly in the text. But the second thing is we see the power of prayer. Nehemiah here and in throughout the, the book of Nehemiah as we go through is a man of prayer. A man who brings intercession to the Lord. Look at verse 4. As all this is setting up, he, he, the king asks him, he says, what are you, so what are you requesting? What, what can I do for you, basically? And it's sort of, there's a pause here. You should feel this in the text. There's sort of a pause. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And this doesn't seem to have been a really long, drawn-out prayer. It's not like he said, hey, king, give me, give me 20 minutes. Let me go pray, and I'll, I'll come back. No, it seems to be sort of a, a, probably a brief prayer, relatively brief prayer, maybe even said under his breath, maybe just said in his own heart. No doubt it is flowing out of a larger life of prayer that we see in Nehemiah. But in that moment, he says a prayer. Before he says anything else, before he does anything else, he's a man of prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Makes you wonder, what did he pray? God, give me wisdom. God, give me favor. God, God open this door. God, work in the king's heart. Whatever it was, we, we don't know. But he prayed. And then we see that answered. If you go down to, uh, to the, the end of the, the passage that we just read. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So he's a man of prayer. He brings intercession to the Lord. And then God answers prayer in verse 8. A lot that we could think of lingering on that. Just the importance of that. This is something we see all over in the, New Test- or in the Old Testament. New as well. But very often, again, some of the, even the way that the Hebrew worked together, it would, it would have this sort of almost lumpy way of, so I prayed, and then there's a little bit of explanation, and then God did it. So that's two things. The power of prayer, the mighty hand of God's providence. And number three, and lastly, is we see that Nehemiah is a man of vision. He's a man with a plan. He, uh, he's a man of prayer. I've just emphasized that. But he's also got a plan. He's not being reckless. Um, he's being sort of brave here. There's some bravery involved there. But he's, I mean, when the king asks him, he's able to set this out. What do you want me to do for you, Nehemiah? And he lays out this plan. So he's thought about this. Now, maybe God is blessing him at that moment and, and giving him some words to say. But there's a sense in which he's, he's, he's got a sense of vision here. He's going to lead. Now, he's, he's relying on God, but, but he's also ready to work, too. He's ready to roll up his sleeves, ready to put himself at risk. All, all of the things that are involved here are risky. He's walking through these other territories. There are bandits. There are 
leaders and lieutenants within this area that, that might not take you know, lightly to a Jew coming back and restoring a place that they didn't like either. They considered Jerusalem and Judah to be seditious as well. There's a whole lot of things that could go bad here. Um, it could be, again, we think about all the problems that Ezra faced, okay? So you read through Ezra, it was, it was tough, this, this process of trying to rebuild the city. And, uh, and yet he's, he's willing and he's ready to go. We could talk about Nehemiah's sense of compassion. We see just the, the burden that he has for his people. We could see the sense, again, the courage that is involved here. There's a lot we could say about that. But he's a man of, of vision. And so as he sees this, the door opening here, probably not fully knowing what to expect from the king, he acknowledges the hand of God. There again in verse 8. God was upon him. The hand of God was upon him. And it was trusting God that ultimately is going to strengthen him here. It's his confidence in his faith, his rootedness in his faith that is ultimately his source of strength. And oh, that God would, would have his hand upon us, upon our church, upon the ministries of our church, that God would bless. Without that good hand of God, we should not expect anything. Yet with God's blessing, with, with his hand upon us, upon leaders, upon workers, upon the ministries of this church, we can expect good and mighty things from the Lord. A few things I wanted to just share from the book of Nehemiah tonight, and then God willing, next week, we'll go through the rest of chapter two as we continue on in this study, uh, in this important and honestly really fascinating Old Testament book. So I'll close with prayer, uh, and we'll conclude for the night. Our God in heaven, I do thank you for your word. And God, the way that you not only say things to us, but even show us, God, in this history, this account here, the way that you work in your providence, God, the way that you would have us to pray, to see those prayer answered in faith. Lord, I thank you that, um, God, you worked through Nehemiah and all the things that you did providentially in bringing your people back, that you fulfill your promises, and that there it was in the city, God, ultimately, that you would do your work through Jesus, our Savior, who we think about so much this time of the year. So, Lord, I pray your blessing over my brothers and sisters here. Have your hands over them as they go from here. Um, and bring us back safely this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And God bless you.